Pirate Equity. Jump in, man. We know you're there. People's Private Equity, Pirate Equity, Fred McGinney, some race coach, I'm not sure how, not sure how I feel about what to my name still, but we'll, we'll let it, <laughs> I'll let it slide for now. I'll forgive you for now. So welcome back, everyone, to Pirate Equity, which is the podcast of People's Private Equity. Um, and it's a podcast in which we explore how to use finance to transform workplaces. Hills yeah. Oh yeah. So the theme uh the theme of this what is it week fortnight this fortnight episode is index funds and uh race Kershi my wonderful co-host is going to go into details about what the hell an index fund is. Yes. Because I must admit myself to being slightly in the dark. I have a, I have an idea but hopefully we can explore that in a bit more detail uh in the in the course of the coming hour. And uh, we've got a couple of plugs of things what we are doing with people's private equity coming up so we've got a new reading group that we're going to discuss that's starting on the th- is it the third of december monday the third of december did i get that right i don't know it's, it's your reading group right well it's our reading group but, but you um, started it that's on uh that's on facebook and um, we don't have a venue f- of that um as of yet but we will it'll probably be in a pub somewhere and we're going to be reading this uh, very interesting interview in uh, jacobin with um is it uh, mr mason jw mason I believe so. But we're also actually going to be discussing a little bit about that today, are we not, Frank? Yes, so we can discuss what we're going to discuss. Uh, the other thing that's very exciting is that uh, me and Ben have been working our little tails off. Um, we're, we're going to have a conference about people's private equity and kind of related themes, yeah, stuff to do with using finance to transform workplaces, um, finance and empire. We're going to have a really full um, a full. Uh, conference at Greenwich University on the 16th of February next year um, and he and I are going to be sending out the invites to the speakers so um, yeah watch this space we'll be uh, we'll be launching tickets um, for that in the next few weeks hopefully Um, so with those plugs duly dispensed with what is uh, what's next on the agenda race well that was that was kind of uh, that was that was interesting uh, to, to kind of switch roles there for a bit, you were like the intro guy. It was interesting to to watch you now blossom, as you as you have in this in this podcast media world. Um, I mean, I guess I'm going to talk about some things that have happened because it's been a long time since we've had the podcast. Yeah. We were supposed to do it last week, and then the week before it kept something kept happening. But no last like was sick. And then Benolas puked up the next week after that. No, no, no. It's all been Benolas's fault, really, isn't it? But uh, um, I mean, well, first of all, I mean, in in the style of Ed Miliband's podcast, reasons to be cheerful. God, stop. I've got some reasons to be cheerful myself. So, uh, I, if anyone's ever obviously listened to, uh, probably no one really has. Although I think actually no, I don't know what I'm saying. That the, the pilot episode is actually our most listened to episode. So, to all of you who've listened to the pilot, you'll remember. The discussion that me and Frank had about the word comrade and the use of it by non-communists, uh, and Frank basically stated that you know, you're either communist and you use the word to your fellow communists, or you're a liberal who assumes everything is ironic or something along those lines. And and then I realised I sort of uh, had had dissected the word as it were, and you know it's uh, it's com, which is basically short for communist. And what if you just get <laughs> liberal, get Get the, the the prefix, I guess maybe is the word. The first bit of that and add it to raid. Libraid. Libraid, my <laughs> nice. friends. Libraid is the new word. All you liberals out Mate, there. You heard it here. Call everyone your libraid. Let it spread like a wildfire. So, uh, <laughs> libraid. So on that it note. Sounds like libraid. a drink. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like, ga- like Gatorade. Wrong, <laughs> Gatorade. It really does sound like We a should drink. release a drink called Comerade. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, we should merchandise do that. people's brought to you by people's private equity <laughs> comrade for all your dialectical needs dialectical needs yeah let's not let's not get into hegel again man yeah, no one needs that not. no one needs that let's not um also i have oh, another reason for me to be cheerful is as it has been a long time i think i've kind of had a lot of time and uh uh to basically discover what what all these terms are like liberalism and uh, socialism and I, I last time i stated that i was in fact a libertarian market social democratic socialist and i've realized that uh you know what i don't know what i am but 
I've recently started writing uh, my manifesto, okay, huh. for the new true center. And this is basically firstly an exercise to, d- to discover what it is that I truly believe in, what my system would be. And then to actually, I mean, basically, the, the idea behind this has always been, I think it was about a year ago or two years ago when I found out about when Margaret Thatcher was asked at a conservative conference or whatever, like what uh, what, what it is their agenda is. And she's got a Friedrich Hayek's uh, book. What was the name of the book? The, the Liberal... Road to Serfdom? Oh, come on. No, no, the Liberal... The, what was the one? Friedrich the Hayek is, is, is Road to Serfdom. Oh, no. Oh, okay, maybe it is... All right, maybe, maybe. it's road to serfdom. Whatever the road to serf. No, she definitely did not get that one. Well, anyway, we can fact check that later. It was the second one. It was the one after that okay. that she got out. I'm okay, not... sure. We'll agree to disagree. You, you're probably right. You're probably right. Uh, you're 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 probably right. You're you're like a intellectual. So, oh, thank um, you. So, <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter which book. Basically, she got a Frieda Kayak book and said, "This is what we believe in." So, like, and basically that basically set the agenda for the next fucking. The next flipping thirty years. Uh, so, so what's your point? Um, so my point is that, like, after that, I realized, like, that that you the only the only, the only dry like, hump Hayek. No, no, the only oh, Jesus, the only way to 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 basically change into a new agenda, into a new system, is to to have to have another Hayek who writes a new uh, economic. And social system. Okay, so because you, so, so, end, so, uh, so you're so you, what's happened to you this week is that you've discovered that you want to be the next Hayek. No, no, I discovered this about uh, uh, a year ago. And when you say Hayek, you're saying that in a disdainful way, as if I yeah. want to become another lean liberal. But I'm, it's like, okay, this is the, this is a problem. There's liberals and then there's Hayek. Like, man, no, no, was okay, a... look. So you're not understanding what I'm saying. I'm saying the principle of it, right? I'm not saying to take his ideas. I'm saying the principle of writing up a is the same as what Keynes did. It's the same what bloody Marx did, mate. Like. If anything, what, a manifesto. Yeah, basically writing like a uh, a new an economic system or a, a something like that, like a new ideology, or whatever. Even though I, I it's in the in a, in a sense it's an anti ideology, and then that is what get picked up by a party, say by you know, let's say Chaka Omana. Yeah, yeah, I or knew you were going to say Cly- this. To be fair, yeah, I'm sure. I, I should be like interesting. You mentioned Chaka Omana because no, I see that as a joke. To be the, fair, but, the you Fabians, know. the Fabians have just released some bollocks report about a divided nation or something and i've not read it but i can assume that because it's coming from the fabians it's going to be nonsense and i was confirmed in that view by the fact that they got chuck omuna to speak at their <laughs> launch event so, <laughs> so we can assume that it's some kind of tedious centrist nonsense uh, well you know you know my get, stance, in, get him involved man he's great at tedious centrist nonsense get, mate, get chuck omuna to do the forward to your manifesto he's not going to be involved in the in, the, in my manifesto he is yo, he is going to be involved though He's going to be involved in this fund. I he's going to invest his entire pension that. in this, and then he's going to come on the podcast and tell us why he did it. I would love that so much. Well, he's got he's got that mad speaking gig now, hasn't he, or something? He's got, wasn't there news about him getting paid crazy amounts of money for doing nothing? What, like every other politician ever, Frank? No, that's not true. But anyway, let's not get into. Yeah, Chuck I think Umana. we we we, 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 we yeah, we're divulging into Chuck Umana once again. Well, so this is um, that. So that was your week, is that you've discovered that you're a, uh, the, the next. Hayek, oh, and that you're, and that you're, know, uh, and that you're writing wait, a manifesto. Look, it's, 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 mine was mine was less. Uh, it, what's the word? I had less epiphanies than you, um, but I also have reason to be cheerful. I went to an event at um, the Bread and Roses in Clapham, which was a reading group. It was it was Wandsworth Young Labour, I think. I'm not actually a member of the Labour Party, <gasps> <laughs> um, so I snu- I snuck in, um, and we had very good chats about. Um, so the authors of two articles in uh, the Tribune were there and we had a discussion with uh, Wendy Liu was talking about um, her article about dismantling Silicon Valley so that was really good and then we had a conversation with um, with two other authors about an article they'd written about uh, Labour Party's foreign policy and we had really great chats about that and then I sort of waded in with my classic incredibly um, unsophisticated anti-imperialist critique and basically said something like you know the starting point has to be empire and the starting point has to be that the british working class does ultimately benefit from uh, from empire and then this this uh, comrade a few doors down was like i don't i don't think that the british working class does benefit from empire and i was just there like <laughs> cringing like what like so yeah that's what we're up against race um, <laughs> is a lot well, of people in the labor party who don't even acknowledge that empire still exists to be fair i, I with, with all due respect frank i don't think most people know outside of like the marxist sort of types 
I, I would argue that most people don't. I mean, until I met you, I didn't know that empires still existed. I think that's a really interesting point because we are, we are, of course, in the, the metropole of a British empire. And I was, so I, one of the other things that I did this week that was really, um, really good, I, spoke to, I, I met with this comrade who was introduced to me through a mutual friend who does a lot of work in Latin America. He was working at um, Telesur, which is this, uh, I think it was Venezuela and, and Cuba funded alternative news source kind of like a bbc but for like lefty latin american nations right and they do really good stuff in english as well uh, and obviously i recommend you check it out if you haven't already right but um he was saying you know the discourse in latin america is so inherently anti-imperialist like they have anti-imperialism in their dna that the things that we discuss on the british left would just be laughable to them right because it's so obvious when you're in a peripheral nation that's really being uh, fucked over by an empire you uh, you don't have to ask these really obvious questions. It's only because we're in the imperial metropole where the British working class benefits so much. You know, the thing I said to the comrade after, we got a pint together and I and I talked to him and I was like, you know, it's guys in Bangladesh who make your clothes and not the other way around. Like, that's empire. It's um, 14 men being shot to, de- to death in Derry in Northern Ireland and not the other way around. That's empire. It's Iraq being destroyed and not Britain. That's empire. Like, how can you ignore those factors? How can you compare... You know, it, it is terrible what's happening to the British working class in this country, but comparing it to what happened even to people in Greece, let alone to what happened to Iraq, is just absurd. It's like, how could you say that they're the same? They're not. They're different, and they're different in important ways. So that was my week, was uh, was beating my anti-imperialist drum <laughs> and um, and <laughs> having fun at Labour Party events, even though I'm not a member. So, That's yeah. quite, I mean, it's pretty poor that you're not a member. I am actually a member. That doesn't surprise me. But I was a member. You know when I joined? <sighs> Guess when I joined? When Chuka Amana did something tedious. Nothing to do with Ch- Okay, look. Who's uh, look? I don't actually like Chuka Amana. When did you join? Come on. Who do I love? Who uh, do I love? Ed Miliband. Yeah. When he joined? I joined. I don't know. I joined. I joined when I basically I read in shortlist because I was I wasn't in. This is my political awakening. What, so you you joined ages. You joined pre Corbyn. I I met Corbyn I've got a picture I can show you the after this I've, Just answer though Did you join pre-Corbyn? I joined before I elected Lame. Corbyn I joined before Lame. Corbyn I was, I was at Miliband like. So you joined before It was cool Okay that's fair Mate I was I elected Corbyn I met him And I was like I gave him the blessing Basically And I was like You will win He was like Thank you Thank you <laughs> That's be. a terrible um, Corbyn impression But yeah basically You need to work on your Corbyn impression Basically uh, the, the, the point is That um, You just sort of Just mentioned about empire so i think you you know you wanted to read a quick quote and then we'll talk about index funds so well i don't want to read the quote i want to slip the quote in seamlessly and you've just ruined my entrance but that's fine i'll do it i'll do it later i don't even need to do it now i think what what we need to do now is to move so we've we've discussed our weeks (laughs) we've discussed our weeks and we need to um we need to move on to discussing index funds yeah but before we discuss index funds we need to understand what that actually even means and so why don't you Explain it, Race. Right. What, what the hell is an index fund? So, the index fund. I mean, we should probably first start by explaining what an index is. I'm sure most people don't even know what that is. Do it. So, an index is basically generally, usually from a stock market index. That's generally what people consider an index. So, in England, we have the FTSE 100, which is essentially the 100 largest publicly traded companies, which basically means that you can buy shares in the companies as opposed to a private company, which is what we'd be buying in people's private equity. Listed on the London Stock Exchange. Listed on the London Stock Exchange with the FTSE 100. Um, But the biggest one that most people generally tend to buy, and I probably, I don't know, are we allowed to give advice? I don't think we are. (laughs) I mean, it, it could be assumed that one could, if they were attuned to, by the S&P 500 index fund, which is obviously the 500 biggest companies in America. Well, but presumably it's listed on a specific stock exchange. In a, Well, so in, in the S&P 500, in America, you, you actually have three stock exchanges. You have the New York Stock Exchange, which is the main one. You have the Amex, American Exchange, which is very small. And then you have the NASDAQ. Have you heard of the NASDAQ? Yes, I have. So the NASDAQ is very is basically the many tech tech sort of uh, stocks this was very famous because it was invented by a little man called bernie mr nasdaq no, no mr bernie madoff <laughs> no, <I'm joking. laughs> what would you just say what you know bernie what? madoff right yeah of course yeah so and, and in a way I, I i feel like we're kind of like bernie madoff because <laughs> don't mention that <laughs> because because we're, we're we're taking the money from uh didn't Golden he go to Sachs. prison? <laughs> Except without the prison and uh, without the legal... Without the criminality. <laughs> okay, maybe we're not Bernie Madoff. Anyway. You're not supposed to mention the criminality <laughs> live on air. 
<laughs> so back to index funds. Uh, index. The, the, well, you were saying the S and P five hundred. Yeah, right? the S and P five hundred index fund is the is like the biggest one. There's there's about three uh, sort of going around, and the biggest company, the basically the company that invented index funds was Vanguard, mm-hmm. which was created by a man called John Bogle, and I would argue that John Bogle is probably single-handedly the, the the one person who's done the most for the individual retail investor retail investor obviously being normal people who aren't in an institution like goldman sachs or a hedge fund etc um you know mom and pop investors because what he did was basically allow anyone you know a normal person to buy into the entire stock market with a very low fee whereas before this you had obviously you could buy buy stocks and generally you know before this was i think in the 70s so before this it was only really very rich people who would you could even buy stocks anyway and you had to you had to be rich to even approach a stockbroker which was the only method that you could buy stocks yeah so uh and, and obviously with that you have a lot of very high commissions and then you know around about the 50s you had sort of the emergence of mutual funds hedge fund that like the first sort of minor hedge funds uh, but even then they're generally open to only institution investors and with a lot of mutual funds that were open to retail investors, the fees are very high. And as it's very widely known now, most mutual funds don't actually outperform the index, obviously generally being considered the S&P 500, which is the American stock market. So this is the key point. Let's break that down. So you've got this index fund. The S&P 500 is the top 500 funds that are listed on what, NYSE? So just in in, in, in America. In so a, in a, the, but how are you defining that? It's literally on either the... It's on, the, any of those three any of the three that i just okay stated. so so the biggest 500 companies on those three index uh, on, the, on those three stock exchanges are what's called the, the s p 500 and that list is updated so if one company grows bigger than the 500th one then it takes its place and the point is that if you invest in stocks and those 500 companies that's usually considered a pretty safe bet because these are the these are the ones that are performing the best is that right exactly because as you said like it's it's not the same companies so whereas if you were to Say in the fifties, you bought a selection of the, the of top companies. The a lot of, obviously a lot of those companies are eventually gonna well, supposedly so some of them are gonna go out of business. Whereas if you've got an S P five hundred index fund, as you said, it's constantly changing as the company gets bigger. So it's constantly always the best companies. So it's like diversifying your risk, right? You're basically you're tethering. So say you're a pension fund and you want to invest in an index fund that tracks the S&P 500. You would basically let's for the sake of simplicity, just say, look, I'm going to have like uh, like uh, whatever, like a thousand shares in each of these 500 companies. And then as soon as one of them drops out, you would sell your shares in that company and buy shares in whatever company had dropped back in. And in that way, what you're doing is the, the, the performance of your pension fund and its ability to grow, uh, grow its assets is explicitly tethered to, to the performance of what's considered to be the top 500 performing companies on, on that index. Exactly. Pretty much. So, you know, as you said, they it's, it's always going to be, you know, those those companies that's and it's it balances the risk because it's obviously a wide diversification of, of companies. Obviously, in England. That would generally be with the FTSE 100 that sort of pension funds would... I mean, that 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 is what they'll do these days. But interestingly, so it was only about... I mean, I was listening to a podcast a couple of days ago, which was from about six years ago. Mm. And at that point, the majority of index funds were in the hands of uh, institutional investors. Yeah. Now, in 2018, the majority is actually in retail investors. Mm. So... Most of the index funds, especially mainly through ETFs, uh, we, should, we should probably mention what ETFs are actually. So an ETF is an exchange traded fund. And these sort of blew up around about the, the, the crash sort of era. So highly yeah. liquid, is that right? As, as, so over the counter is less liquid than exchange traded funds. Is that right? Pretty much. So the index fund that John Bogle invented with Vanguard, that was very much more like a mutual fund. Like it's, I mean, it is kind of liquid. You can get it out, but it's not as easy as just calling them up. You have to like wait a while you might have to wait for a closeout period um but and the reason they're liquid is because exchange traded funds have a clearinghouse is that right so that whenever there's if there's any buyers that haven't been matched to sellers then there's a clearinghouse at the end of the day is that right not quite so exchange well in a way i mean look basically exchange traded funds are the, the difference between exchange traded fund and a normal mutual fund on a normal index fund is that basically an exchange traded fund is traded the exact same way that a stock is 
So you would buy an exchange. So say, for example, you wanted to buy the FTSE 100 uh, ETF, which is obviously the most popular ETF in England. You would go to your stockbroker, whether it be, I don't know, I'm not going to name drop any stockbrokers. Don't want to give them publicity. We should buy stockbrokers, by the way, quick side note. Yeah, but, um, a fund to buy stockbrokers. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, but basically you would call up so-and-so stock. Well, you wouldn't call them up anymore. Or you just go basically on your computer to your, your stockbroker's website. And just as you would buy like a Rolls-Royce share or an Apple share, you would buy the FTSE 100 ETF. And that way, it's 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 very advantageous, if you're especially if you're doing like a you know, shorter term traders in less than a year because then you don't have to pay the expense ratio, which is obviously the fees. Mm. But realistically, as I said at, at the beginning, what, from what most people really should do if they're inclined to is just to buy an index fund or an ETF basically representing the index, either the FTSE 100 or probably the S&P 500 and just hold it yeah. for life. Cause that's so let's you. so let's link it up to what we're doing. Obviously, like yes, uh, some some listeners may still be a bit in the dark about what the hell it is that we're trying to actually do. And in that regard, um, a bunch of us are, are, are co-drafting this article, right, where we try in about in about sort of a thousand five hundred to two thousand words to explain, like, look, this is what people's private equity is about. We're trying to set up these big, like, big multi-million pound funds that go into existing companies and buy them up, and then once we have management control over them we can start to try and reconstitute them in incredibly radical ways that you know empower workers flatten hierarchies and um, and basically build communism at the level of individual firms yeah obviously you may not agree well, you I may not quite you may not quite agree with communism yeah, yeah. Well, we can, differ, we, can build, yeah, sure. we can build we can build socialism or some nice wishy washy term if you want but really it's about giving workers control over the means of production we're not giving them it like um, entering into a coalition at the level of individual firms with workers through workers inquiry to fundamentally reconstitute their workplaces so that management control and um, the people selling their labor power are all this are all the same right yeah you create these highly democratically accountable uh, structures that completely they're completely counter hegemonic completely opposed to the idea of private property counter hegemonic being so hegemony being the idea that um that existing class relations come to be justified by a kind of um, almost like a zeitgeist or a set of ideas that people that people hold in their heads, like a kind of view of reality and how it's supposed to work. So you have like um, a capitalist hegemony is the idea that there are certain institutions and certain ways of doing things that that have to be the case. And if you create something that's counter hegemonic, you're questioning those assumptions, right? Things deeply embedded concepts like um, people who are skilled should be allowed to have lots of money. Um, private property is absolutely vital and people should be able to accumulate it almost indefinitely um it is totally normal that uh that one person should own a factory and that another person should sell their labor power to work in it like a lot of these assumptions that are deeply embedded in capitalism right we're trying to we're trying to question them so we're trying to say uh, material inequality is really uh really really questionable we want to create these firms where everyone's basically paid like a, a um a, a decent wage enough to live a decent dignified existence from the profits of the firm i mean really that's undermining the very idea of profit right you're saying that all of the profits should go to the people who produce them profit is as marx would have us believe profit is surplus value so if what you do is you entirely socialize those profits so that they all go to um workers you're trying to enter into a situation where we get rid of the idea that profiting is something you should ever do from someone else's work mm, not really because like obviously there's still going to be the managers there and like in this case of the people's private equity firm the beginning the the firm is going to have a stake in in each uh company i so i think this is where i disagree um with you is that i think it's it's more about it's not about cutting out profit completely <clears throat> it's just about because obviously at the moment profit comes first in in the world in everything in business i think it's more about putting the putting the labor first uh, putting the rights of the workers first but still having profit i don't but, think it's about cutting up profit completely. i don't think that's true like you, you like i agree that in a lot of parts of the economy profit is what comes first but um w w what what these kind of capitalist defenses of the liberal status quo never acknowledge is all of the all of the context in which profit doesn't come first at all so the family is a really good example of that and it's funny isn't it that thatcher was the one who emphasized that but how is a family anything to do with profit a family is about you know a, a traditional like western family whatever is is a is a mother and father uh, raising like 2.2 children or whatever and the children up until the age of like 18 or even beyond when they go to university are entirely dependent on the 
uh, on the parents right now i suppose you might try and um try and conceive of that as being like the parents investing in their children in the expectation of some kind of return on investment i mean i suppose in some horrible bourgeois families that's probably true but i think the norm <laughs> i think <laughs> i think the, the, i think i think but the, i think the norm um the norm is actually unconditional love and just like you're part of my family the idea that i would try to profit from you or that i would turn you into an investment vehicle is absurd and it's not at all true of like the psychological reality the social reality of what it means to be in a family apply that also to things like public services like public services that are run at a loss right like you tax you tax rich people and then you build things like um, public transport services that run at a loss. You build things like the NHS that run at a loss and you pour public money into them. Now, again, I suppose you might make the argument that actually what's happening there is that um, private enterprise is generating profits, that the state is then um, claiming some of those profits in the form of taxes and then redistributing them to put into um, publicly run services that are run at a loss to the taxpayer. I mean, I think there's some truth to that. And this is, I mean, this is one of the things that I think I may have mentioned in a previous podcast is that there's um, there's a friend of mine who's been posting some readings. Um, I think it's a guy called Postone, but I'm not really, I'm not really familiar with it yet. I need to get into the, the readings that he suggested. But basically, he hit me where it hurts, yeah. He, he cut me to the quick when he said, yeah, cool story. Your fun sounds great and everything. And it sounds like a, a, a wheeze, but it's not. What? Like, it sounds like a joke, basically. Like, like, like jokes, like good fun. But, um, okay. But he was like, "It's not. It's not anti-capitalist. It's not communist." And uh, can I can I come in here? Yeah, do it. So, this has basically been like the uh, I would argue ninety percent of the critique from this fund, and like, so what? I mean, yeah, I hear Wait, that. Let, let me let me finish, please. Like, I understand. Obviously, don't get me wrong. I completely understand where they're all coming from, and obviously, all this critique has come from your sort of Marxist mates, right? And, like, I get it, like, because that is your, it's a big part of, like, what you believe in. And, you, you know, as a Marxist, you want to create full communism. And if you see something that is sort of doing, like, a wishy-washy version of it, maybe, then maybe that's going to annoy you. Which is why I feel like a lot of the time the Marxists detest the more uh, centre-left liberal types more so than the right wing. is because they are sort of trying to do a wishy-washy version and they see that as disdainful. But... Personally, I, as I say, as I always say, it's, it's not about create doing a communist thing. Firstly, it was it's never really about communism. If anything, it's about if you have to put a label on it in that Marxist sense, it's a socialist project, and that's 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 all I'd say. I don't think it's any because if it, if you're to say it's a communist project, you're saying that it's to actually, because I mean, well, from what I've understood over the last two weeks of my readings, is that socialism socialism is more about social ownership, whereas communism is more about everyone owns it and it's through the state. So this is really a socialist project because it's about the workers owning owning their labor, they're owning the, um, the basically the, it was like the, the information they have the information of the company, they have influence in the company, and they have, uh, basically they get to inherit get the profits from the company. Yeah, I think so. I, I think I think that's a really interesting point that you raise, right? And I think sometimes you're right. That, um, well, I, I want to move on to linking index funds to pri- yeah. to private equity, right? But I'm gonna I'm gonna respond to what you said, and then we can and then we can take the conversation in that direction, right? So, like, I think I think what you say is right. I I am a communist, but my my own conception of what that means is sometimes quite poorly defined. But broadly, it's about it's about this idea that you 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 have a you have a problem with um, various aspects of the existing way that the economy is run that you think probably goes to the core of the system and so so really it's about things like um the super exploitation of people in imperial peripheries right people in countries like the democratic republic of congo being being super exploited thinking like what how would you need to reorganize society so that that kind of super exploitation didn't have to take place um and um, but I think you're right. The distinction between socialism and communism is kind of a very open-ended one. And it's very difficult to imagine what the new society will look like. And that's that's part of what this whole fund is about, is that there are vast swathes of the left, uh, the radical left, who have, in, who have degenerated into moral posturing and crafting their own virtuous identity. And they're not willing to get their hands dirty and say, like, can we actually start to try and build what we think the new society should look like? And what's exciting about this moment in this country is that even though it is an imperial metropole, we're actually on the cusp of a Corbyn government. And that's not by any means a communist victory, but it is a socialist victory. And 
it's one of the only places in the world right now where the left has any hope of breaking through. So, um, so I, so I suppose that's why I think this fund is really exciting. Is that we're trying to have these difficult, messy conversations about well. What is, it that we, what is it that we want workplaces to look like? What is it that we say is wrong with workplaces at the moment? And how could they be run differently? So I don't, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you massively, but I just think that perhaps I'm willing to go a bit further than you are like when it comes to restructuring society. Now, don't get me wrong. Ours is just like it's just a private company that's going to create some funds we're not by ourselves going to build communism but we're part of a broader movement that is having this conversation about even just having the discussion about what is the difference between socialism and, and communism and uh, and how does that affect our fund uh, is an important one so that brings us then like the, the rubber hits the road again doesn't it and we we come back to index funds right which is what what we're kind of supposed to be um targeting this conversation to right is uh is you, you've said a bunch of helpful stuff. You've really certainly helped me to clarify in my own mind what an index fund is. Um, so, um, so why don't you why don't you explain why you say that you know there, there's this article wasn't there that, that we shared on our Facebook about our was it our index funds Marxist? So, yeah, why, so, so why don't you tell our dear uh, listeners about um, what that article was about and why that led us to sort of theme this episode around index funds? So I think it must have been like a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Bloomberg, who uh, whoop, whoop. website I am. Uh, visit every day if, yeah. if anyone is from Bloomberg is listening by the way please give me a free Bloomberg terminal and we'll, we'll let you guest on the podcast's return nice um, so basically on Bloomberg did a little article titled are index funds Marxist question mark with a little picture of uh, the man himself Mr. Marx on the uh, on the thing and it, the, the premise of it is basically the idea that as I was sort of mentioning before that basically index funds is basically what the majority of people are owning and that's exploded like obviously it started uh, it started like the the thing sort of started burning in the late 70s when john bogle invented the index fund and they slowly started to creep up as a more popular thing obviously in the 2000s it weren't really that big a thing because everyone was sort of just piling their money into tech stocks and there wasn't really tech index funds at that time um I, th- I don't think the nasdaq was the index fund yet and then in two up to 2008 people started using index on i would say it's from the 2000s that's when index funds really started hitting their stride and it was about 2006 the etfs came in and that's when it exploded and then now as i said majority of etf uh, index funds are owned by retail investors and the idea of this uh, article is that if everybody owns index funds and that index funds obviously being the 100 or 500 biggest companies in so-and-so country then everybody owns so-and-so companies so if everybody owns all the all of these companies then basically it's it, it, in a form some form of socialism or some form of marxism because you know it's 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 full ownership it's it's it's, it's, it's very similar to the the ideal of having everybody own all of the the means of production yeah but they're only the main ones if ever so say everyone in england right Everyone in England, like, and I think this would be a, this is actually in my manifesto, by the way, is that everyone basically gets so-and-so amount of index fund, but they're not allowed to sell it till, like, maybe 10 years before retirement. That's interesting, because this is capital controls, right? This is, like, you're talking about kind of really regulating the, the, the control of capital, which is a very state-centric kind of conception of how, um, of how wealth should be distributed, right? Arguably a complete... Um, renunciation of free market principles if you're if you're talking about that level of intervention well, why would you say that because you're, I'm, you're, I'm not pre- saying... you're preventing people from selling their capital which means they no, don't... no 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 so you well okay maybe that, that's, uh, anyway, okay, anyway so let, let's not get bogged down the point is that um that, so you, you describe a very interesting article and then linked in that article um that article explicitly references an interview with the economist jw mason right in jacobin magazine and he's yeah. he's interviewed by uh, seth ackerman who is the uh, i think he's the the editor of jacobin magazine and that is the text that we're going to be reading on monday 3rd of december in our reading group so um so you read the bloomberg article and i read the jacobin article is that right no 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 no. no. i think that's how no, no. i've <laughs> read both articles frank i see you barely read the jacobin article i skimmed it man right? i got the key you, juicy you, you, I, I got I, the key juicy deets yeah you know what frank, so frank so to give a quick preface frank came in i was like really excited i was like, oh man i just read the article it's so sick and he was, he was like yeah yeah no and he sat down i was like oh so what do you think about this but he was like oh no well I only actually read the first paragraphs. That's not what I said. I said I read about half of it. I determined that it was excellent stuff and that it needed to be read in a reading group. And I didn't want to get ahead of people. So I selflessly shared it with the comrades so that we could all be on the same page. And then we can meet up on Monday and discuss it. 
Right. Not, so we'll, not this Monday, next Monday. So I'm just going to quickly, I mean, this is sort of prefacing what I've just said. So it states, and yet you write ironically, as financialization concentrates ownership claims in a few big funds may weaken the ideological basis of for private ownership. What do you mean by that? And JWM, who's JWM? That's the it? Mason guy. JW Mason, the economist. Name is. The big rise, the big thing is that you had the rise of index funds and other passive investment funds. There's been a recognition among people, investors, smaller holders of financial wealth, that there isn't a lot of value from all of these services that purport to offer some kind of superior investment strategy. And that the best option is to buy one of these index funds. Yeah, it just is, buys and holds some entire index of securities. This is the point that was the criticism that was made against Trump before he was elected president was that um, he inherited a lot of wealth. And some people suggested that if he just stuck all that wealth in an S&P fund, that, like, a fund that tracked the S&P, that he'd be richer than he is now. And that what he'd actually done is squandered a lot of the wealth that he'd been given. I don't know how true that is. And I think a lot of this was the product of like um, weak need, like liberal criticism of Trump, which was so piss weak that he obviously got elected. But I do think it's interesting, the idea that like that we valorize all these math geniuses who go into hedge funds and everything. And if you look at hedge funds, the average hedge fund doesn't outperform the S&P 500. And you just think... Like your whole stuff about oh, like what is it? The justification for hedge funds yeah. is that they're is that they're um, uh, making markets more efficient, and it's no, just... no, no. Sorry, that's actually false. The, the what you're referring to is high frequency trading. Uh, yes and no, thing. both. HF, no, HFT, no HFT is a kind of hedge fund. Yeah, sure, but like you know, head. No one's ever trade. No one's ever claimed hedge funds can't have nothing to do with market efficiency because hedge they, they can't outperform the market, right? It's like a zero sum game, for basically. High, who for HFT? If they're HFT, then sure. But that's another topic that we're we're divulging here. I don't. I think um, we're not diverting. I'm just. I'm just. Nothing? I'm just making a point about S and P. What I think you failed to do so far, which I, I'm. I'm sort of waiting for the. the oh, I'm waiting for the kicker, mate. Right. Waiting for the kicker because you. You were the one who was like. I, like full disclosure, yeah. I wanted to talk about Empire as usual. And, um, <laughs> that's all you want to talk about, right? <laughs> it's very important, okay. And um, and you were like, you were like, no man, no man. Let's talk about. Uh, let's talk about index funds. So here we are talking about index funds, and I'm with you. It's very interesting stuff, yeah. But. Can you please tell me, how does this help us to set up a multi-million, or as you would have it, multi-billion pound or dollar equity fund? Well, look. What does index funds have to tell us about that project? Well, in a way, firstly, I think doesn't really matter because like, <laughs> no, with all due respect, like this, this, the whole purpose of this podcast isn't to uh, just sort of figure out how it relates to our fund. It's yes, it is. Do you say narcissist? Yes, it is, I said. Oh, I thought you were calling me a narcissist. I was like, Man, I think you're hearing what you want to hear. Beef after this podcast, mate. Um, but um, no, I like, because think about what we've been discussing in all the podcasts. A lot of it is, it's, as I said, it's... It was, I hear that. I hear that. This is a podcast but, about alternative finance. It's not just about our um, vanity project, yeah? But but, yeah. but I but I do think it would be interesting to say, like, so how... So, right, so, so for, for those of, for, for, you know, for those listening who are still as new to finance as I am, right? Like, I'm I'm trying to map on how this whole si- like financial system works. And you've, you know, you've given us some insight into how these index funds work. And, you know, you've, we've, I think people have a, a broad idea of what a stock exchange is right but i mean private equity is all about funds that aren't traded on on indexes so it's not it's it's funds it's it's companies that aren't publicly listed right well here's where i've actually been having so i guess this is this goes back to the whole ed Miliband thing of reasons to be cheerful uh so like i have another reason to be cheerful so the uh i, I was actually i've been having some interesting ideas about this and how it sort of relates and i think Something that will be really cool, possibly, is if in is in like ten or fifteen years, when this is like really big, is that <laughs> we could have like like an ETF, like the PP ETF. Yes, that sounds good. Six letter acronym. I like it. Yeah, um, but like in terms of how this relates, I think it sort of relates in the idea that. I personally see this, you know, as I said, like in 15 years, 20 years, I see this as being the new de facto norm of finance. Like, I see this being basically, in a sense, what because obviously what they're arguing is that, in a way, is like it's it's a two pronged thing because obviously, every, all, a lot, the majority of retail investors own the funds, but who's producing the funds? It's Vanguard, it's BlackRock, these big asset management firms, who, by the way, I think are great, like. I think investment bank like they're not don't I don't I think people shouldn't conflate them with investment banks because what they're doing is very different to what investment bank does. But at the end of the day, they're still these big institutions that so they essentially do own all of these companies. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm. So 
The reason why it relates is because I think that's what we sort of want to aim to do in the same way that, you know, they in Silicon Valley, they teach startups now to become like a Facebook or Google octopus that grabs everything. That's what we need to aim to be like is to be this massive thing that owns all the companies. Proto-fascist right? corporate. I don't think it really is. No, I'm joking. That was a joke. That was a joke. Okay, sure. But you we love Facebook. You know, we love Facebook. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, obviously it's, it's the opposite of that because it's it's buying up all the companies and democratizing them okay that's that's interesting stuff so, so that's that's how i think it sort of so relates. let's let's yeah. move on then to um uh, i was very excited to receive some minute long excerpts of criticism from a, a friend and comrade of mine uh, ashok kumar who had picked up on some wayward possibly drunken uh, facebook post that i'd said about the the project that we're trying to set up yeah I, so i talked about people's private equity and then he sent me these interesting um criticisms and the substance of what he was saying very uh, eloquently and interestingly um was i think it was two things really he was saying that look it's he, obviously he's not read the article and he didn't have the same depth of um knowledge of the proposal as we do as the people designing it but he was basically saying like look demands for shares demands for workers to own more shares and to sort of cooperate with management has always been a regressive demand because it it lessens class antagonism and the set and then the second thing that he said was that um it just creates um a labor aristocracy like the, the proposal as he understood it was just going to create a labor aristocracy and a labor aristocracy being what so that's where my dinky little quote comes in that you so the entrance of which you so ruined yeah so this comes to us from a book um that i had to rebuy because someone stole it because it's so good it's called um it's so it's one of these books that really pisses off most people on the on the labor left in in the uk it's called labor a party fit for imperialism right it's by robert cloth i think i'm pronouncing his name right or plow it's one of those O-U-G-H type words, yeah. But um, so it's the second edition, and it is um, it's produced by uh, the Revolutionary Communist Group, if I'm not mistaken. So um, RCG are kind of like, uh, for those who don't know, I mean, I have a lot of time for RCG, <laughs> even though I must admit I sometimes find them a bit shouty and cranky. Like they're usually on point. They basically hold the British left to account and say, "Why are you so terrible at talking about empire?" And that's exactly what this book does, right? It's it's talking about the Labour Party's role in. Uh, in empire which you know when, you know why i was at that that meeting earlier this week with all these labor party comrades you can sort of feel the room just um tense in a bit whenever um some guy with an irish accent comes along and says like yeah but what about empire and they're just like oh they hate talking about this there are some people in the room who are on point and they're like look i hear this yeah and and they've thought about the critique but a lot of the responses to my interjection were just like wall-to-wall denial just like Oh, the empire doesn't exist. So the reason I'm I'm bringing up this book, aside from plugging the comrades in the RCG, yeah, is um, that it has a helpful definition of labor aristocracy at the at the um, start of the first chapter. So I'll just read from it real quick. Yeah, it says. The final defeat of Chartism in 1848 ushered in a period during which British capitalism held unchallenged sway throughout the world. From 1850 to 75, British capitalism, with the markets of the world under its domination rapidly expanded and was able to relax the extreme pressure which had been ever present in the 1830s and 1840s wages rose and conditions improved especially for the skilled craftsmen who more and more assumed the leadership of the working class these privileged workers turned aside from chartism to build up their craft trade unions and cooperative societies the spirit of rebellion died and proposals for radical reconstruction of society were brushed aside so that um that gives you an idea about what a labor aristocracy is yeah it's basically the idea that there's a certain set of skilled workers who end up becoming a kind of aristocracy right who extract rents from the other um the other sections of the working class and that i suppose is that that's the risk that ashok is identifying in our fund is that we're just going to create these kind of um it, it, we're going to create a privileged class of workers who have access to these kind of companies that we're creating but that they'll still be operating on the basis of um, of exploiting other sections of the working class who don't have those same benefits. In in what sense though would they be exploiting other sections? Like, is it in the same workplace? I think this is the thing that we need to think through because to be fair to Ashok, he's just identifying the risk and he's not read the proposals in as much detail as we have. But that, is, uh, but I think that is a a risk that we need to to think about. Right? Is that like is that we are that, like that the, the demand is ultimately regressive? We think we're doing this um, this progressive thing that we're building communism, but actually we're just tinkering tinkering with capitalism no uh, i don't understand how is it regressive as in it's not building communism i think if so. that's the, the point then that's a 
that's a darn good thing. We don't want to be building communism. Well, I think this is the point. I think this is the key point is that may- maybe you're not as concerned with this criticism as I am. Like for me, that's a really devastating thing. Like if, that's, well, if it's true. Remind me of the criticism. So it's it's the idea that well, I mean, that, that we could. It's like I said. So I, I don't. First of all, I don't. I, I disagree with that that statement completely. That how how are we? How can you create? Okay, you have, first of all, you didn't answer my question. Is that is that in the workplace or or are these workers exploiting other workers in other workplaces? I, I think Ashok's concern is both. Um, I, I think and how? If, if, we, how if that... we have our way, I think if we have our way, we can address the concern about exploitation within the workplace. What we, so what he what he identifies in in his message right is uh, he talks about. Uh, the the workers co- like cooperating with management right and that's very similar to this german model they have where they're fond of putting workers representatives on the board of directors right so it's like look you've got your reps we cooperate our interests both consist in the success of this firm so the, the class antagonism is, is reduced right because the workers reps instead of fighting with management to usurp them have been kind of placated with some seat at the table but ultimately control rests with the shareholders and the directors that they appoint right so that he says is this way of kind of fudging the class antagonism without in any way really resolving it right you just um you may maybe the workers get some concessions because they've got some guys on the board who can say something right it's not nothing but it's like germany at this moment with with its wonderful boards of directors with workers representations uh, representatives is one of the most capitalist if not the most capitalist countries in europe certainly you know it's it's the powerhouse behind the european union it's the powerhouse that destroyed the greek economy that that um that destroyed the irish economy so that shows you doesn't it that like, you can be an arch capitalist exporting like industrialized nation even as you have this wishy-washy like oh german workers get to have a seat on the board of directors so i think that's his concern about in- internal democracy and then the second point is um so ashok when you asked you know like you said you sort of said oh who is this guy and i said that um his politics are very close to my own so at the risk of descending into too much detail yeah like um ashok taught me an awful lot when i was like kind of like you like a fresh-faced liberal um like irish republican at lse which is where i met him he um he sort of challenged a lot of my really unreconstructed stupid ideas right and taught me to think about empire um as the starting point right like you need to think about race you need to think about empire um as your starting point and that's what the british left and the american left is really really terrible at doing so um so i think the the, that's the second point is that the exploitation uh, will still be taking place between countries in the core and countries in the periphery so if all we did for example were to create funds that invested in british companies those british companies would still have workers whose clothes were made by bangladeshi sweatshop workers those um those uh, workers would still be in a country whose military had bombed and destroyed seri- various Middle Eastern countries. There would still be a refugee crisis. So I think um, this is one of the other things that we're trying to address in the fund. How do you create a fund that actually goes into um, places like I keep saying, places like Gaza, places like Baghdad? You said that one yeah, every episode. Now, yeah, I'm going to keep saying it. Like, um, I mean, uh, it's really, really important stuff. Mm. Like, how do we at the at the outset? How do we address? Um, the very difficult tension that exists between the British working class and the working classes of countries that they exploit. Yeah. What do you reckon? I like, I mean, I, I don't think in a way it's not reasonable for you to answer that question, right? Because you don't share those radical anti-imperialist politics. I think, you know, look, <clears throat> I think it's, it's not fair because, and it's not that I, you know, maybe I do, but the, I think the, the point is that I just don't understand enough about it to, like and it's interesting i was having this conversation with my uncle the other day about like why on the left like that sort of side of it like i guess imperialism foreign policy that is generally the biggest critique of like and like the biggest problem and like like don't get me wrong i think it's an issue but and i think maybe this is possibly because i'm a bit younger and i'm like at that age and i'm sort of more just sort of focusing on myself like I'm like, for instance, in the last election, the, the issues I re- really only cared about were like education, like uh, tuition fees and like healthcare, because that's what's affecting me. And like ra- uh, rail nationalisation, uh, which is probably quite selfish. But like, and I think maybe, as you said, because you've sort of had that journey as I grow older, I'll be more interested in those issues. But I've always, I've not really understood why that side of it has been the biggest issue as opposed to the domestic front. And don't get me wrong, I think you're, you're right. And it's, it's, you know, someone like you that is, is actually thinking about that is important because maybe you don't have enough people like that. But I guess I've always thought that, uh, you know, you have to sort out what's sort of going on at home first. Yeah. 
Um, no, I, I hear but that. I, I, I agree that we should definitely have a multi-pronged approach and be buying companies across the world 100%. Yes, I think I, that's I, a, a great I just, idea. I just disagree really strongly that we should be focusing on what's happening at home because that assumes a certain definition of home, right, which is really problematic, right? And I, I don't want to descend into um, identity politics because I find that stuff... Uh, I mean, that term... Oh, yes, please not. That term gets thrown about a lot, right, and I find it very annoying, but... It, but, but um, but there is some really valuable stuff that comes to us from that, right? How do people's subjective experiences like inform how we should do our politics, right? But even just on a slightly superficial level, it's like when you say home and you're talking to an Irish guy, it's like, well, where do you mean by that, right? Because Ireland is this interesting um, twilight zone, isn't it? Like Irish people are white, but they were also colonized. Mm. Irish people are part of a uh, European core and they have high, like high level sophisticated production in the, in the sense contemplated by Emmanuel Wallerstein, yeah, that um the, the, one of the other books that i brought today um but they but they also experienced extreme violence and exploitation at the hands of the british and so when we talk about home th that raises this interesting question of where should our home be and why would we choose as our home one of the most violent racist countries in the world why would we choose that so, i don't i don't want this to be my home i want i want us to make our home in places like gaza where the people remind us what it what it feels like to be under the boot of of, of capitalist imperialism and what's really interesting in this regard one of the messages i sent to this um, the ppe whatsapp group this week was i had this epiphany you know me, me and ben um are doing a lot of work with some people in palestine we're trying to set up this company in palestine um it's a you know the, the london learning cooperative and then we're setting up the gaza learning cooperative as well and that you know that links really explicitly to the private equity fund because we're trying to make these inroads into the private tuition market so that we can then try down the line to set up this this massive capitalized you know multi-million pound tuition private equity fund where we go around and buy up uh, private tuition companies and what we're trying to do by forging these links with palestine is that is is the you know that creates the really exciting possibility that we could create a, a palestinian people's private equity fund where we would capitalize this fund, we would get a, a majority of Palestinians on the board of directors. I think we would have some Israelis, but they would need to be on the on the radical left because the, the left it is. Just hear me out. Hear me out. This is this is this is an this is an idea. I'm just thinking out loud, right? Like we've not properly um, thought it through, but this is this is where our thinking is taking us. This is what you know. This is what it means to create an anti-imperialist private equity fund. Mm. It's thinking through these difficult questions. Well, how do you actually design the fund? What does it mean to design an anti-imperialist private equity fund? Who staffs it? What kind of companies does it buy? Where does it buy them? What problems? What imperialist barriers and other barriers will it encounter? And can you fucking imagine what kind of resistance we will encounter if we create, say, a, a hundred million pound private equity fund that is going into the West Bank and Gaza to buy companies and turn them into, like, and, and to increase their profitability and turn them into, into socialist or communist workplaces? Can you imagine how the Israeli state is going to react to that? Especially in Gaza, when you think about the reality of the siege of Gaza, how difficult it is we're finding it even to get money in to pay our tutors for the London Learning Cooperative. Can you imagine the kind of, um, the kind of barriers that we're going to encounter? And, and that, I think, is the, is the whole point, is that you deliberately push up against those barriers and you capitalise a fund with hundreds of millions of pounds and then you throw it against the, the walls that are literally surrounding Gaza. And you say, this is outrageous. This is an affront to humanity. We want to go in and to build these, these um, communist workplaces just like we do in England, but we are being prevented from doing so by the siege of Gaza. And we've come to, we've come to challenge that. What do you reckon? Mental? Good idea? Well... I, I was interested until you said then you started gloating about the uh, the the struggles that the, the challenges that we're gonna face. I mean that sounds kind of scary to me, to be honest with you. Uh, if it's scary to you, imagine what it is to a Palestinian. Someone like a, a, a friend of mine whose house was uh, the hotel beside her house was just bombed in the in the last few days, and we don't even really hear about that in the Western press. You think you're mm. afraid? That's what's happening to her as a consequence of imperialism and, and that siege. The other thing that I've been reading this week in a lot of depth the other books are things that i've just been aware of for a while is this book called the color of money um by uh mersa baradaran and she, it's absolutely brilliant and i recommend it to anyone and it, she's talking about segregation in in the south of and in the south and the north of the united states of america and how demands from across the political spectrum from people like malcolm x all the way through to ronald reagan for a black banking sector were totally self-defeating when you consider the economics of the situation when you have a segregated economy um 
it's simply not possible to have a black banking sector that can actually perform the function that a bank is required to perform. And she goes into a lot of detail. I won't, I won't um, summarize it here because uh, it's far too sophisticated for me to do justice to it. But what I'm, <laughs> what I'm really interested in doing then is to explore um, if, if, if her economic analysis is correct, which I think it is, and you cannot have a properly functioning fair economy when there is segregation because the banking sector will always fail in the, in the black part of the economy, how can you apply that to Palestine? I think that would be very, very interesting for us as a financial firm talking about going into somewhere like Gaza, which is hyper segregated, like like physical segregation. That's an open air prison with almost two million people in it in which capital goods and people cannot enter or leave. How do you even I can't even imagine what finance is like in the Gaza Strip. Like, what is there a, a branch that does, does, does the Bank of Palestine have branches there? And where, where is the Bank of Palestine um, headquartered? Is it headquartered in, in Israel or is it headquartered in the West Bank? I think these questions are really, really important. You know, uh, Palestinians use the Israeli shekel, right? They're using the currency of their oppressors. These are really interesting questions that we as a financial fund talking about going into these, um, these imperial peripheries where people are being hyper-exploited and killed. How do we think about things like banking, private equity? How are we even going to start? To operate and i think the answer has to be of course by speaking to palestinians and people who were there on the ground and giving them um space within our organization to make decisions sure yeah i think uh and that would be pretty interesting also i mean well, i don't want to be political here but kind of related but i think you know anyone who's listening who is interested in getting to finance something that would be a really good start right now is actually to short the israeli shekel the Israeli shekel, Israel has been having a fair bit of problems, and the Israeli shekel has been on a nice little downtrend. So, uh, I would buy the US dollar against <laughs> the Israeli shekel, people. Okay. And I think that's going to be, and maybe we could do that, like a little tip of the week. Well, the other thing, yeah, I mean, a little tip, like for race, <laughs> like, oh yeah, it's this week's short. Oi, that's what we should do. Yeah. The the oh, we, we need to begins with S. Sham- what begins with shamrock S? shamrock shorts it could, you could do it no this is shamrock shorts stop fetishizing me <laughs> stop fetishizing my identity um we, we can think about that Sanka- S- sankara begins with s but i don't know if he would approve of us naming a short after him by the way should we just, uh, before we pretty crap up i was just to really clarify what a short is because i'm sure probably a lot of people don't know a short it basically means that obviously when you buy a stock you're betting that it's going to go up a short is when you're betting that it's going to fail so you're f- hoping that it's going to fall but uh, yeah, we, I mean, we should we should wrap it up, shouldn't we? we yeah, should, definitely. We should bring well, things I think close. this has been a this has been a really productive episode. I feel yeah, like we got through so many topics. This is like, good. Index we got your funds. empire in. We I talked about Gaza. <laughs> we talked about Gaza. Life is good. Excellent. Um, so let, let me repeat the plugs though, yeah, just so no one forgets that we've got this reading group coming up. It, like it's quite a, sh- a short, accessible article to begin with, and then at that session we can discuss what we want to read next. Yeah, uh, that reading group is on the third of December. If you go on the Facebook uh, People's Private Equities Facebook page, you'll see on the events section that we've got a, a Facebook event up there, and we'll de- we'll decide the venue like today at some point probably it'll probably be a pub somewhere in southeast or maybe somewhere in central and then the other big thing to keep an eye out for is this conference that's coming up it's on the 16th of uh, february which is a saturday it's going to be at greenwich university and if you can uh, like we're going to release the full conference timetable and all the rest of it we're going to be sending out the invites to the speakers today but if you want to be involved in organizing that conference hit us up get in touch with us on twitter or on facebook or uh, we do have an email, don't we? But we don't really publicize it. But yeah, whatever. The point is... And what, what are the Facebooks and Twitters, Frank? Tell us. Tell uh, Facebook is... It's people's private equity, I think. Uh, and, and the Twitter is equity people. So yeah, get in touch if you want to be involved in organizing that conference in any way you can. I've done a, I done a poll on Friday uh, evening because that's how I spend my Friday nights now, yeah? I'm doing polls. On my, face, <laughs> on my Facebook, um, suggesting four different titles and, um, you, you know, using the React to... to um, to see what people wanted and i think we're going with something like uh using uh, using finance to transform workplaces or something like that but we haven't we haven't even decided the title yet so it's all in a state of flux hit us up get involved the conference it's going to be an after party it's going to be excellent oh is it going to be an after party yeah obviously obviously is it going to be your house it could be at my house definitely make sure to come frank's parties are lit but maybe not maybe somewhere else um so yeah i mean This has been a fantastic episode. As always, I've been with uh, Frank McGuinness. But should we say what the next uh, episode is going to be about? It, it should be no! about. It should we be. We don't even know what it's going to. Then we're going to have to commit. I want, and then you're just going to say empire. Aren't you? Yes. Next time we're talking about empire. <laughs> we need to. Oh, talk we need about to talk empire. about his empire. 
Like, or maybe, it could be, it could be, get... it could be something to do with workers' inquiry. We should get someone from uh, from notes from below or something like yeah, that. That could be cool. That could be interesting. Okay. Well, we will see. We'll see you. Or... And obviously, we'll have. Uh... We'll, we'll see you, and you'll hear us next time. Yeah. So I mean, we're aiming to have a. We have said this every week, but we are truly aiming to get a guest <laughs> next week. I hear, I hear Chuck is in town. Shut up. So... <laughs> Maybe you'll hear Mr. Chaka Umana with so, us next week. So but, we, uh, until next time, thanks for listening from me, Frank McGuinness. And uh, me, Race Kershey. Whoop, whoop, Let's whoop, play whoop. it out. Yeah. Is this pirate equity? Pirate equity. Good night, my G's. Oh, it plays afterwards. <laughs> That's pretty good.